Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. I'm Will. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons & Dragons, from magnificent mages to magical marketplaces. And today we're reviewing Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. All right, Brian. Finally. It's finally here. It's finally here. There's been a lot of hype. A lot of hype. A lot, lot of hype. <clears throat> and I have I have gotten my hands upon the tome. I know. And I've opened the tome. I was very impressed. And I've seen what it contains. <laughs> what does it contain? A lot of stuff. What's in there? Is it magical <laughs> as fuck? Uh yeah, a lot of it. A lot of it's very magical. Oh nice. Okay. Um so you haven't you haven't gotten a chance to look at no, it. No, I haven't. Not <laughs> so, even a little bit. So I'm gonna be telling you. What's in it? And you can tell me what you think of what's in it. Okay. How does it look? I, I'm always Looks like good. impressed good. by the aesthetic. Of yeah, the, the art's very good. I rate this probably 8 out of 10. I think it's... For art the, or overall? Overall. Okay. Overall. Art, um, it's you know it's on par with everything else, which is good. Oh, good right on. Yeah. Um, I would say that there are some great things about it that I love. There are some disappointments that I have about it, but overall, I love it. It's really good. It's got a lot of great stuff. If you're a dungeon master, you definitely want this book oh yeah if you're a player mm, you might want it so as for content for for the players it's basically all you're gonna get is some cool race stuff right you're gonna yeah get, so, what ended up making <clears throat> it so we'll go we'll go through the whole thing point by point okay. but um for race stuff there's some new elven sub races you're gonna get the duergar race um, there are some tiefling variants, which I didn't think initially I was going to be a fan of before I opened it. But now that I've seen what they've done, I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, this is cool. A, we have a good <clears throat> amount of tiefling stuff already, right? That's how I felt. That's yeah. how I felt about it. But the thing they did was really cool. And we'll, nice. we'll get to that. Everybody loves tieflings. Um, I'm trying to think. We, you get the gith, uh, both the gith yankee and the gith Zerai, which I know you don't really know anything about. Yeah, because I saw a re- more recently, I think they must have announced that that was going to be <clears> in there. And yeah. like people have been commenting on our video about it. Yeah, big section so, on the gith. If you're a fan of the gith, you're going to get some good gith stuff in here. Yeah, I have no um, idea what that is. They're really cool. They're definitely getting their own episode. Um, and there, that's pretty much it for the player side of things. Like okay. you're just going to get some races. Most of them are pretty cool. Some of them are mm, whatever, but for the most part, they're all good. But is that worth buying a book for solely for some new races? Maybe not to some yeah. people. I might make that spend, but other people might not. Well, there's a lot of like, obviously there's people that collect and then there are people that yes. kind of just are into lore. True. So you want to read that. And, but yeah. if you're really this, the wheelhouse seems to be. The, the DM standpoint, like all of the, the planar lore, the, the demon devil yeah. stuff. Yeah, the lore is is really where it's at with this book. And um, if you're a dungeon master, you're pretty much going to want this book. It's right. going to have planar lore, like really deep lore on all the races. Um, and it's just a great way to get good inspiration. And obviously, if you're running this in the Forgotten Realms setting, this is just information you probably want to know. Right. Any stuff in the Blood War, like I said. Um, with the gith you know all about them all kinds of different gods um they really get into the the archdukes of nessus they're going to get into the demon lords and there's a, a really big bestiary at the end uh, you know, oh yeah a bunch of monsters and i'm a really big fan of a lot of the monsters they chose to add that's really cool so i was that's really where big... it's at for dming really. yeah for dming yeah lots of monsters really cool stuff i really enjoyed it um yeah so this book is set up mo- like 
it's set up very much like Volo's Guide, where it's front loaded with all the, the big lore sections, all divided by you know, different races and you know different planes and whatnot. And then the back half is basically a big bestiary or like Monster Manual three at this point. Yeah, it feels uh, like. Xanathar was like 1.5 player's handbook or something like that. Volo's like 1.5 DMG, and now this is DMG 2. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. That's that's one of my gripes uh, when it comes to this book and Volo's is in older editions, a Monster Manual 2 would have had all the monsters from Volo's and this book in one book. Okay, so you don't need the old book. You can just update with the new book. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, what I'm saying on. is like what it took it took two books in fifth edition what it would have taken one book in a previous edition when it comes to the bestiary when it comes to the monster manual right okay like it's like you said with volos it felt like a monster manual 1.5 because the amount of monsters they had didn't feel like a full monster manual because it's not it's half a monster manual half a lore book right and there's <clears throat> yeah the player the player races and stuff like that yeah there are things i like about this there are things i don't like about this but either way overall this is good it's, right yeah you know, good, good content so um this book specifically is going to be a big cause for us here at the Dungeon Cast to re-go over subjects. Right. Um, we're going to have to re-review everything because this changes like the, the Lots of changes were made. Um, some of the biggest changes, the Raven Queen, we're definitely getting a new episode because when we did the Raven Queen episode, basically there was nothing in 5th edition about her yet. And everything that was about her was all from 4th edition because that's when she was introduced. Yeah. And I so, think we kind of knew <clears throat> about... Mordenkainen and her being in it when we did that episode. I did not. But, oh, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I had no idea. Maybe we found out shortly I was, after. But... I was really irked. Like two yeah, weeks later, I, I was remember like, Gosh, that. Dang it! But no, it, it's okay. Like we're gonna revisit and we're gonna, you know, it'll be Raven Queen Part Two. I don't know what we'll name it. It might just be called the Raven Queen Part Two. Raven Queen again. Yeah, something, something along those <laughs> lines. And we're gonna go over the completely revamped and new lore for her. But there's a lot of other stuff we're gonna have to revisit. We're gonna revisit the Archdukes of Nessus mm -hmm. uh, because. Some of them have been changed. Uh, some of them are completely different people now. They've been replaced. And oh. so we're just going to go over that. Nice. Um, some races are going to have to be re revisited. Tieflings, elves, dwarves, uh, maybe gnomes and halflings. Maybe not. I haven't decided yet. The drow, definitely. Um, also, there's new races that we're going to talk about. So there's going to be new races of the realms coming out. Shatterkai, Eladrin, obviously the Gith, and uh, and whatnot. So, so hit me with what's uh, what what do we got to talk about in the book first? Okay, let's point by point. We're going to go through the book from front to cover. Not going to go into too much details, but let's let the fans know what is in this book. So the big the first section is the Blood War, the the ongoing story of the Blood War. Not so much how it started; they really don't get into that, but they kind of approach the Blood War from all three sides of the conflict. Okay, uh, the demons, obviously, the devils, obviously, and then the neutral evil side of the Eugoliths, who are like mercenaries that work for both sides. Okay, and it really delves into like what the conflict's like, how the flow back and forth of the conflict goes and like how the archdukes and the demon lords involve themselves. Okay. And also how this affects like adjacent planes and whatnot. Um, let me stop for a second. Actually, one of the cool things about this book that I noticed once I got through it was it's very aptly named when it's named Toma Foes because it really is highlighting the various eternal or ancient conflicts throughout all of the cosmos. Like yeah, okay. the blood war, the the conflict between Corallon and Loth and the elves. The so it's not Mordenkainen's foes, it's just people that are foes. Exactly. <laughs> the the ongoing war between the dwarves and du the Duergar. Uh, the ongoing war between the Gith Yankee, the Gisarai, and the Mind Flayers. Nice. Um, and so on and so forth. So it's just so, a catalog of information. Basically. Because like, they, they do like a canonical thing with the books here, right? Like Yeah. Yeah. Like how Xanathar's guide is like, oh, the beholder Xanathar is like looking right. deep into the underbelly of the society or yes. whatever it was. Yes, very much. Okay. <clears throat> um, it it will. This book gets into the the current hierarchy of hell. You know the the current archdukes, and it even gets uh, deeper into some of the the dukes that serve the archdukes, which I thought was really cool. It stats out a few of them. Um, we get a lot of Tiamat lore, which is oh, nice. nice. Not a lot, but we get some. Tiamat lore. I bet it's we get gross. Tiamat lore I would have liked to have had when I did the Tiamat episode. <laughs> but it's not enough to warrant a new Tiamat episode. Okay. We can cover it here. Yeah. Um, 
you get cult lore for each archduke, which I thought was pretty cool. Well, that's like, cool. Like the uh, Earth these cult are, or whatever. Huh? Or not, I said Earth cult. Um, like, like on the, the mortal plane, the, the cults that follow yeah. the various archdukes. So like their hierarchy, their goals, and their signature spells they get for being in the cult of Mephistopheles or, nice. or Mammon or whoever. That's cool. That's really cool. Really cool stuff. So uh, the tiefling variants are... Okay, so the way they did tiefling variants I thought was really cool. Basically... The initial idea of tieflings, well, okay, the initial idea of tieflings was that uh, you genetically have fiendish blood in your in your right. Blood stream. Right, yeah, like, it can, true. It can spawn, no, 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 it can spontaneously um, um, manifest. manifest itself to, uh, just randomly throughout generations of life. Like, you could have, uh, like, seven generations oh, of human, right, and then suddenly okay, a uh, and then that changed over to no, it's a curse, and they breed true. Right. Okay. Uh, and it was a curse known by Asmodeus, and that's why they all have this um, uniform look of like reddish skin and the horns and all that. Mm-hmm. So the way they've kind of changed things up is like, okay, that's specifically Asmodeus tieflings look like your standard tiefling. He's the one who did the big curse. They're probably the most numerous of tieflings. Right. But other archdukes can do the same thing, or you could be related to one of the archdukes. Okay. You know, in, in your genomes or whatever, and. There are variants for each specific Archduke. Nice. And for each specific variant, you get a different uh, ability stat increases. And okay. that's for both ability stats. So it's not even like they're sub races. They're almost like their their own little race. Nice. And um, you know how when you're a tiefling, you get like your infernal legacy spells? Yeah. Your infernal legacy spells change completely depending on which Archduke you are descended from. That's a lot of flavor. It was a lot of flavor. It was really cool. I'm going to drink some of this. Yeah, sure. I, I was wondering when... So the aesthetic is different too of them, like uh, um, like the color of the skin or like the the way there the were horns some are shaped or something that, like that. That made it apparent that there's supposed to be differences. Okay, um, I can't remember if they actually wrote down aesthetic differences, but I remember there was a Im- image of like a Zariel tiefling, and okay. she had like dark brown skin and white hair and like crazy looking horns that kind of went off to the side like this. Oh, nice. Was a little bit taller, like an antler kind of look. Yeah, kind of. But not, maybe not. Azariel is like a fallen angel, so yeah, okay. there was like almost a like a fiendish slash celestial look. Like the ASMR kind of? Kind of, but not really. Okay. It's hard to, that's it's really hard to describe. That's interesting. Yeah, so I, I imagine yeah, I there is. I can't wait to get my hands really, on this shit and look at it all. Yeah, yeah. So um, after that, it kind of got into the extensive lore in the Abyss and all of the more prominent demon lords, which was nice. It was really cool. Okay. Demogorgon, all them. And they're all statted oh, out. Shout in out the to Demogorgon. Indeed. Uh, they, they're all statted out in the book. They basically, they just took all the stats that were in the, uh, what was it? Rage of Demons. Okay. That, that module. And they just brought them on over, which is good. You want them here. Like, and I, I think the fact that, that if they had been stuck in this really obscure module would have been lame. So. Yeah, I, I barely even know about that. Exactly. I, don't, I don't think I've even cracked it open. Oh, yeah. No, all the Demon Lords are in the back of that book, and it's awesome. Oh, that's cool. Um... Oh, yeah, and then it got into, um, basically, the demon lords can have cults, too, and they have followers, and they can gift what are, like, boons, almost like a warlock patron, but not quite. This is more powerful. Okay. Um, And there was a boon for each of the demon lords, and they did really drastic shit, like uh, really increasing and decreasing certain ability scores, depending on which deity was, and then you had access to a bunch of different spells. Nice. So if like you got the boon of Demogorgon, I don't remember the specifics. That's the boon I would get. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But if you got that boon, it would be something like a plus five to your strength and a plus four to your constitution, but a negative seven to your charisma or some shit like that. Plus one to uh, a head. Yeah, sure that, and then <laughs> and then a host of spells. So. Nice, that's cool. It was pretty cool. Uh, it's very much more geared for NPCs. This is the type of stuff to really break a PC. Oh, but, um, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about plus fives and plus sixes and minus fives and minus yeah, sixes, you want to so. do some some action. Yeah, there was even plus eights and stuff. Put so. the bicep on it. Shit. Right. Right. Okay. So, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, after that, we kind of leave the the whole fiendish thing and start getting into more of the. Mm, I wouldn't even say mortal realm races, but your basic races. We dive into elves. Okay. And some expansion on that. I think that this was some of my favorite lore that I found in this book. And we'll get into why, but they get into the origins of elves, what are called the primal elves, the original elves, which are not very much like what we would consider like our run of the mill elves. Okay. And it kind of gets into the, the lore of Coralon and Loth and the betrayal of Loth. Or the betrayal of Coralon by Loth. 
and the very splitting off into like the zillions of type of elves and it kind of gets into like why there are kind of elves everywhere and why they're all so different okay so we get into the shadow kai the shadow fell and the eladrin in the right fae. those are all elf variations yeah, the sea elves the the wood elves and the high elves the dark elves um or and, drow yeah or drow and yeah and just it really just dives into it and you it gets, know i never really thought about how many there are there's a lot right uh, there are a lot of types of elves and it gets into the life cycle and the soul cycle of elves and like there's only a set amount of elven souls that Coralon created so like when an elf is born it's just a soul being recycled yeah it's and a reincarnation like, yeah it's a reincarnation and there's this whole thing about how like elves can the elves are supposed to be able to when their life ends return to their home plane of Arvandor along Coralon's side, but they can't do so because of the betrayal of Lolth. And until the Lolth's betrayal is, um, until Lolth is destroyed and the Dark Elves return, like Coral, none of them can return to Coralon's side. So they're just reborn into the Yeah, cycle. they're just reborn. And like it really gets into the psychology of elves considering their history and their extensive longevity and like the whole long view of not just their long lives, but like the the, the life of the cosmos and like their place in it and how they're kind of like uh, lost people. Yeah, and man. Like, and the, it, the soul uh, gets tired. Yeah. It and also it, it gets into the... Um, the taboo of half-elves and why it's so taboo because... Okay, if there's only so many elf souls and they're being reborn constantly, what the hell is a half elf? Right. Like, is a half soul? Like, they don't understand. And, like, the reality of it is scary to them. So they don't want to kind of go there. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Yeah, and so it That's gets weird. Yeah, it gets crazy. It gets into the elven pantheon. Okay, so what I like about this is elves in D&D have always had, like, this weird place to me uh, when it comes to, like, fantasy. Because they're very much based off Tolkien elves. Yeah. But they're also, they're so different from Tolkien elves, they're not very much like Tolkien elves at all, in a way. Because Tolkien elves are immortal, and, like, they got this real melancholy oh, yeah, to them. yeah, you're right. And uh, Tolkien elves are based off Norse mythology, mm-hmm. and yet uh, D&D elves were, were so tied up in the Fae and Celtic stuff. And yeah. even though they have nothing to do with that, really, in, in real mythology... Um, this is a weird, what I like about this book is it takes a lot of like the loose ends of D and D lore and really tries to tie them up. And I think no better than here with elves. It really just kind of like, okay, we got all these elves all over the place. No one explains any of this. Uh, no one explains like why the elves are so different than the thing they're based off of. Like they're, we've been trying to have our cake and eat it too for so long without yeah. explaining it. And now it's like, now we can understand why elves are so sad all the time <laughs> and why they're so reclusive all the time and, and why the drow and all other elves really hate each other. Cause like in the, in the eyes of like the high elves and the wood elves, like the drow are denying all elves their promised land. Right. And like, so there's some real animosity there and Lowell's yeah. of course really leading the drow astray and all this stuff. And it really, it really paints the drow in a way that like hasn't been done before in a good way. Drow are now more redeemable. Because they're made more human, thank God. And then also, like, it doesn't make the other elves look like racist bigots. Like, no, they're legitimately upset for a good reason. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and uh, it also dives into, like, uh, the different special elven spellcrafts, like blade singing and, and, oh, and nice. stuff like that. Yes. It, it talks a little bit about that. That's cool. Really cool. I like that expansion. So, yeah. I feel like elves are kind of put on a pedestal in this game. They are. Um, I mean, I mean, across fantasy, really. Because they're yeah, elves, they're like it's built, because of Tolkien. They're built that way. Yeah, it was, it's because in in Tolkien's world they very much are. Because like the elves are like almost in a way the favorite children of of the chief deed. I can't remember, although that's not quite true because he gives humans like the gift of mortality, okay, which is supposed to be good for them. I I can't remember. Anyways, <laughs> don't worry, you'll die. Yeah, it'll don't be, worry, you'll die, good. and it'll you'll appreciate life more for it or some weird. Yeah, stuff like, like that. right around year yeah. forty, you're gonna just like realize all that shit yeah <laughs> and then and then after it kind of gets through all that um we get to the cls and the elijah and shatter guy i don't think the cls get a big um section which when is good because we don't need cls yeah what's a cl they like, basically it... are like tritons but here's the thing okay 
I didn't know about Tritons before 5th edition. I did know about Sea Elves because Sea Elves have been a thing for a long time, Mm -hmm. a really obscure thing. And then Tritons came out and was like, oh, okay, this is replacing Sea Elves. But now we're getting Sea Elves. I'm just like, we don't need Sea Elves. We have Tritons and we have Water Genasi. We're good. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So So is a Sea Elf like, do they breathe underwater kind of thing? Yeah, they're like Aquaman. They're like Tritons. They look like Tritons. Oh, But the thing was, originally Tritons were like people. Yeah. And now they're more like Aquamen. Yes. Like like fish men fish with boys. legs. Right. Um which is kind of what sea elves kind of were. Except for sea elves, I think at least the Dragonlance, they were more elven looking than than green and fish looking. But now they're being depicted basically they look like tritons. That's dumb. Anyways, moving on. Yeah. Uh we get into the Shadow Kai and and the Raven Queen and all that. And then we move on to dwarves. And it gets into the ancient war of dwarves and Durar and like how that's never gonna end. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but it really it dives into dwarf origins and their chief deity Moradin, their clans and how like their culture their psychology um, and the entire Dwarven Pantheon. And nice. Does, and then it does all of that stuff the same for the Duergar and their way of life and why they see things the way they are. The, Dur- the, the Duergar are like dark dwarves, right? That's in a very simple terms. They're like the drow of dwarves. Right. And they will get their own episode and we'll talk about it more there. Yeah. Okay. So after dwarves, we get into the Gith. And the great war between the Gith Zerai and the Gith Yankee. Yeah, let's go into this a little bit because okay. there's a lot of hype on the channel about it, and I have no idea what the fuck anyone is talking about, and I haven't looked into the it. The Gith are a really cool race. I can't remember their source setting. It might be Spelljammer. It might be Planescape. It's probably Planescape. Okay. Either way, it doesn't matter. They are a people that live in the astral planes, but they're not like, I mean, they're not like celestials or anything. They're like just people. They're like they're just randos. They look like they're crumbs. A cross between elves and goblins in a way. Like they have pointed. They have like the physique and pointed ears of goblins, or I mean, not of goblins of of elves. Okay, Um, and they're tall and they're humanoid, but they have like a greenish skin and it's like kind of scaly. And they have like these weird like noses that are kind of like flat, like almost uh, almost looks like people with their nose chopped off in a way. Okay, like they're kind of they're kind of freaky looking, but they're really cool. Um, the really advanced snake people. They were the Gith were. They look like, you just described Voldemort pretty much to me. Kind of, kind of, <laughs> yeah. In a way, they they have a similar look. They definitely do. Holy shit! Um, the Gith were originally the slave race of the the Illithids or the Mind Flayers. Okay. Uh, for thousands and thousands of years, eventually they led a revolt, and because of their hard life and history and their animosity towards the Mind Flayers, they had become a really um, violent and angry race and oh. very war bound. And, okay. Um, they're very powerful. And they also, they have a special ability to um, forge like these silver blades that like are just really magical and dope. Man. Like gives their eyes silver sword is like a plus three blade. Like normal it's people like, pick it up and they're like, this is fucking really magical. Indeed. You should, should be carrying this. And um, eventually I think they, they win their freedom. And, but there's like before right before they they win their freedom there's actually a philosophical break in the gith there was a there's some philosopher guy i can't remember his name it starts with a z that's why they're called the gifts arrive but he basically says like they've become too monstrous and he like he wants to lead the gith on a different path a more peaceful okay. path a more balanced path a very neutral path and um they they end up breaking free from the mind flayers, but then they're warring amongst themselves. And basically, the gifts arrive, which are the more philosophical monk types with like psionic mm-hmm. abilities. Um, they end up going to the plane of limbo, and that's where their stronghold is. And that's like the true plane of all things neutral. Okay, neither law nor chaos. I think, although they are a lawful neutral people, um, while the gifts while the gift Yankee still dwell out on the astral sea, and they're like space pirates basically oh that's yeah awesome. they sail the seas and they're evil as fuck and Holy like shit. they fuck people up yeah that's the thing like yeah they were a slave race but that doesn't make them good people yeah like they're evil as shit and they actually end up teaming up with a team team that kind of helps them out sometimes they have like oh. a weird alliance with her gross where she provides them with stuff if she gets stuff in return from them like it's a very loose alliance um and it's one i didn't really know about before reading this book but i was like oh i didn't know that that's interesting so yeah team actually gave them some of the power they needed to break free from the mind flayers so cool okay but yeah that's the gift they'll get their own episode they're really seems cool. interesting yeah and uh i think it's time for short rest let's do it all right
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey everybody, it's that part of the episode where we stop talking about that last thing. We talk about something else, and that something else is always, usually, you guys listening to the show. We're loving it. We're loving that you love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you guys for being here and making it to this part of the episode. Um, we uh, wanted to drop this episode now, uh, and it, it messed up our uh, our short rest continuity. It did. So we have it other did. other short rests uh, recorded where we're talking about stuff that happened last week and that... Just basically add one week to anything you hear for the next two weeks that Indeed. we talk about. Indeed. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm confused. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we are giving away this book uh, in two different contests. And the day we're recording this is the day before? The day before it officially drops. I think so. Because yeah, I put the episode short. out on Sunday, but it, like that's just a buffer yeah. me. <laughs> and we got two more episodes that we recorded a week ago. So yeah, it's going to be a few episodes, but we're going to get you guys shout out on the show. You'll know who you are, anyways. We're going to shout you out on Twitter. Yeah, but congratulations to our two winners. Yeah, congrats, guys! Uh, yeah. Thank you all so much for participating in the contest. It is over. We'll be running another one soon. We don't know what exactly yet, but Will and I will discuss that, and we'll let you know what the rules and stuff are when that happens. Mm. Yeah. Um. But yeah, thank thank you everybody. We you basically we wanted to get the word out about the show. And you guys help make that happen by answering the contest. If you want to help support us, you can um, find us on soundcloud.com slash dungeon cast. Leave us some love. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, you can find us on uh, lots of podcast softwares. Um, my favorite is Podbean. I use Podbean for all my podcasting needs. I really do. And it's, uh, it's a good, good app. I like it. 
Yeah, I like Podbean. Podbean's a pretty good one. I use Podbean as well. I used to use Podcast Addict, but it's a little, I found Podbean a little, a little better. Yeah. yeah, I would say so. Yeah, no, Podbean's where it's at, I think. But uh, yeah, if you guys uh, if you guys want, you can check out our Patreon at um, patreon.com slash dungeoncast. Or if you want to send us an email, you can do so at thedungeoncast at gmail.com. Uh, or find us on Twitter at the Dungeon Cast. Um, but really, the best way you can help us support the show is to tell people about it. And you guys do, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you guys so much. It, it's it's great to have you all here in the short rest. Indeed, yes. indeed. <sighs> but all good things must come to an end, including short rest. Including short rest. Let's go back to the show. Back to the show. Whoa, it's a podcast. <laughs> indeed. Okay, Brian. So we're back. We're back. Um, so the next things that come up in the book after the gith are um, actually, I kind of got the I, I mixed up the gith. The gith actually comes after these next two things, but it was more interesting, so it came up earlier in my notes. Oh, okay. But then I was like, you know what? I should probably go back and and talk about some of these other things. So they dive into halflings for a bit, and this lore is actually pretty interesting. They really get into the concept of halfling luck. Oh, which is, yeah, that's they, cool. Yeah, they have that feature. Um, I can't remember the name of the feature, but it has something to do with luck where they can re-roll any crit uh, Crit-ness, fail, yeah. any, any one on a die. I think it's, isn't it just, well, lucky is the, I think it's just called lucky, lucky, isn't it? I think you're right, yeah. And so it, it basically, it talks about how, how much the halflings believe in luck and how they often have these complex superstitions that they live by right? Um, because of it. And it gets even into how others perceive halfling luck and how it's like almost this tangible thing. And people actually study it because like it's just super uncanny how much these halflings like get into these crazy situations and somehow survive when they have no business surviving. Right. The odds are in their favor somehow. Yeah, exactly. And like the halflings chalk it up to some goddess of luck who like really looks out for them. And, and I and just this watched and Deadpool 2 and uh, Domino is in Deadpool 2. And Oh, yeah. Her luck thing. Yeah. yeah it was really cool. That's I, pretty like, neat. I'm definitely going to incorporate yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say it, it's somewhat similar to that. Either way, anyone who's anyone who knows halflings agrees that halfling luck is a thing. It exists. <laughs> I think it's a... Uh, it's a thing across the board. Like it's not just halfling luck; it's luck in general. But the halflings somehow there's something about them that focuses it in, and it's like yeah. part of their statistical it, ability. Exactly. It even talks about it. it. Just seems like fate wants to protect these guys because they're just so nice, and they live in this world with all these horrible things. <laughs> and it's just like fate's just looking out for them a little extra more. Yeah, some luck out is like, oh, they're so small and cute. <clears throat> I, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> Must um, protect. It also dives into what life is like for a halfling and like their culture and you know their. Oh, Really cool. day. I'm very interested really in that. Very Shire-like, but that's how it should be. It yeah. gets into their pantheon as well. They got a lot of different halfling gods. Um, they like biscuits or crumpets or whatever the fuck it is. I'm sure it gets into the eating habits. I'm not sure, actually. Um, it has a nice write-up on gnomes after this, and it really gets into the cultural differences uh, between rock gnomes, forest gnomes, and deep gnomes. And that's also cool. their gods and all that. It's the same. You know, I always them. wonder, like, in the Forgotten Realm setting, like, how much interaction the the little people, the little folk of D&D have with each other. They definitely get lumped together a lot. Yeah, um, like, dwarves are secular pretty much. They keep to themselves, like, el- the way they're very much like elves. They're just short, stocky elves to me. I don't know. Dwarves and elves are drastically different people. But they <laughs> behave so, like, high, like high and mighty. True, but in, in different way. ways. Yeah. Like, uh, like uh, the dwarves are very proud of their culture and very loud about Maybe it. Maybe that's what it is. Very they're boisterous. Both, they're both so proud in, yeah. in similar ways. They're very, I mean, they're, the dwarves are very earthy people. They're very yeah. down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth kind of people, while elves are more Whimsical. philosophical yeah. a lot of the times. And, and they, they have an arrogance... Where they, it's like they know they're better than you. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, they're probably right in a way. So right. it, makes, it rubs a lot of people the wrong way, mm-hmm. including people who are playing the game. They don't <laughs> like elves because of that fact. Yeah. But um, while dwarves, they don't necessarily think they're better than you, but they do think they do think they're better yeah, than no, you. Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, <laughs> I'm do. pretty sure they do. Yeah, they're more in your face about it. But here's, okay. They I might guess, be like, you I might be tall, but I do all this dope shit. I, so I guess the difference you. is, like, the elf knows he's better than you, and he's probably right. The dwarf n- thinks he's better than you, but you're pretty sure he's not right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, okay. yeah, so after this, it gets to the bestiary. There's a whole bunch of stuff, a lot of high-powered stuff. It's really, really cool. Um, I'm a bigger fan of the monsters in this than in Volos, mm-hmm. which is pretty big thing because I was also a fan of Volos. Nice. Um so I kind of I wrote down some of the monsters that really stood out to me as very, being very cool, so we'll talk about them a little bit. Um Deathlocks. 
What happens to a warlock that fails or displeases their patron greatly? Ooh. They become an undead magical thrall. And these things are scary and cool as fuck. (laughs) It's like, I gave you this contract. um, (laughs) You violated section A1 and B1. So uh, per section CA. Yeah. Sorry, man. Um, (laughs) I wish this book had come out before we had done the the Halloween adventure. Uh Because... not only were are the Deathlocks very fitting for that adventure, there's a lot of undead in this book that I would have probably wanted to use. Oh, I nice, ended up yeah. homebrewing a bunch of stuff, and that you was did. fine. And it was, it was good. It was good. If but. you guys want to catch our um, our Halloween special that we did, that's in our ten dollar Patreon tier. You guys can go check it out on Patreon. But it was a that was it was it was a load of fun, of fun yeah. and uh, I tried to make it as scary as possible. I think it was I did good. Okay, job. It was a good game. Um, but yeah, Deathlocks. Very cool. They're just, you know, these undead humanoids with, like, magical powers. And, like, depending on what their patron was, they get, like, different spells. And I, I just thought it was a really cool idea. It is cool. I like There's that. a whole menagerie of demons and devils in this book, which is no big surprise to anybody. I mean, that was, like, <clears throat> pretty much the main focus, I feel like, pre the book dropping. It was definitely the biggest draw. It was. Mm-hmm. It's the thing people have been the most excited about. They have right. all the prominent demon lords from Rage Demons all statted out, which is great. Um, they have the devilish servants of Tiamat called, uh, the Abishai. Okay. We didn't really talk about them in the Tiamat episode and I don't know why, cause I knew about them. I just didn't, I don't know. I just got lost in all the other stuff we were talking about, but these are the main fiendish servants of Tiamat in her home and on her plane. Okay. And they basically are picture a dragon of any of the chromatics picture, any of them, mm-hmm. but the size of a humanoid. And standing on their hind legs and also having more like devilish wings. Okay, so that, almost a dragonborn. Almost a until dragon. Until you said devilish wings, yeah, I was thinking about they're a dragonborn. Just, they're less humanoid. Okay. They're like they're literally if a dragon walked on its hind legs. And oh, was I also see. So it's got these big front legs kind of to like walk as if it would walk on a quadrupedal kind of. Yes, exactly. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and their wings are more like a devil's wings than a dragon's wings. Okay. Which that's dragon cool. wings and devil wings kind of look similar anyways. Yeah. But like they're these weird devil dragon men. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And it's they're just like really fucking cool. Looking. Yeah. They're just like flavored like, to be in the yeah. Tiamat's lair or whatever. Yeah. When you get your hands on the book, take a look at them because they look really cool. Nice. And they come in various powers and they're her main like hordes of demons right. or devils, I should say. And How gross they're are cool. they? Uh, just as gross as her, man. Pretty fucking gross. <laughs> okay. So... They have some of the former Archdukes and one current Archduke and some regular Dukes of Hell statted out. Uh, Bale, Jerion, Huttigen, I don't know how you pronounce this dude's name, (laughs) and Moloch are like the the Dukes. So they're not Archduke level, but they're extremely powerful and unique uh, devils. But then they have the actual Archduke, Zariel, who is the... Is that like XA... Or does it start with a Z? Z. Okay. Uh, Zariel is a fallen angel. Um, and she is now the Archduke of Avernus, the first layer of hell. Oh, okay, uh, cool. She took Bell's place. Bell was just re-demoted back to the general, which is what he <laughs> was before he took over. Right, okay. So it was it was really a holding place. Yeah. And um, like they were just, uh, Bell was just like temp filling in for at, while the manager was indeed. Uh, position was and open. And Bell serves Ariel no problem, although he's secretly hoping that she sabotages herself because it looks like she's gonna. Oh, okay. And then he'll get the job again. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to make him a permanent promote, she, but. Yeah. Zariel's kind of like, she's kind of crazy and she's kind of super aggressive. And she, okay. So I mean, she, those things sound fitting. Yeah, she's basically, she was an angel who was, who was assigned the job of watching the blood war. Okay. Uh, and the fight between the devils and the demons. And right. she was kind of zealous to the point where she's like, screw this. Why are we watching this? Like, we should be aligning all the forces of heaven and just wiping all these people out. Ooh. And she kept trying to get it done and trying to get it done and trying to get it done and being told no. Mm-hmm. And eventually she just loses herself and just jumps into the fight and starts killing. <laughs> and Picks a side. Uh, like her and a lot of her, her followers. So a lot of angels show up. Wow. And they start wrecking face until they get overwhelmed by numbers. Right. And she gets spared and Asmodeus like gives her a deal like become an archduke. Oh, like she goes down you. there as a neutral party to try and like just yeah. end everybody. But like real talk, she was just becoming lawful uh, evil, evil yeah. over time. Like she just was. Maybe because of her um, proximity to all the evil but, you know, like, angels aren't infallible in this world, which we'll right. discuss in the Angels episode. I mean, Either angels way, aren't, like, infallible in most 
True. settings. So. Okay, Fair. that's that's a good point. But we'll get, angels will get their own episode. Okay. Um. Either way, she becomes a, she becomes the new Archduke of Avernus. And D and D angels sound like. Um. Have you played Dark Siders? Where you're like one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I've heard of it, but I've never played the it. The angels in there are <clears throat> fucking nuts. You have to fight the angels and <clears throat> demons. It's, it's a good game. Uh, yeah, I've heard good things about it. So basically, Osmond is kind of gives her the thing she wants anyways. Like, she's probably more on the side of the devils anyways. Okay. Which we'll get into. Like the in, lawful stuff. Yeah, the lawful stuff. We're going to talk a lot about this in the Osmond episode, which is coming soon. Everyone. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Everybody, hold on. <laughs> we just had to wait for this book to come out. And honestly... There was really no reason. <laughs> I know. I was just worried there was. After what happened with the Raven Queen, I was like, man, I'm not doing any gods till this dang book comes out. Right. Yeah. No, so, that made sense. But so, okay. Here, we've already been damaged. Important note on, on Zaro before we move on in the monster, in the, um, in the bestiary of this book is she statted out. She is very likely the weakest of the Archdukes. The first layer. First layer. Her CR is, her challenge rating is 26. That's very, very really high. Fucking high. Demogorgon and Orcus are easily the two most powerful of all the demon lords. Okay. Um, no contest. Their CR is 26. This goes to show you how much more powerful the devils are and why the fight is at a stalemate. Because there's way less devils than there are demons. Okay, Demons yeah. are theoretically infinite. Right. They just never stop. Right. The devils, though there are very, very many of them. They're fine. You know, and they're constantly being replenished. There is not an infinite amount of them or even close to it. To make more. Yeah, keep them so, in their bad wallets or whatever. So I just like seeing this established because it's like a thing I already knew, but we didn't have stats to back it up for fifth edition. Oh, that's like, cool. Look at Zario, the weakest of all the Archdukes, is literally on par with the strongest of all the demon lords. Like, and Asmodeus is a god. Right. So, anyways, okay. just fun note. Moving on. Another cool uh, addition to the bestiary in this book were elder elementals. Now, these are extremely powerful, like, 23 plus challenge rating elemental monstrosities dude nice <clears throat> and there's one for each element there's the leviathan the phoenix the elder tempest and zaratan he's like this huge earth turtle oh and shit cool i was like this is cool like i don't i don't know when i'll ever use this but just the fact that they exist this is awesome i just had a uh like a what if one of these things just like kind of walks by and you have your players roll initiative, but like <laughs> it's not paying any attention to them at all. Yeah. And they're just yeah. like trying to kill it. And it's like, what are we doing? <laughs> and it just walks away. <laughs> I, uh, I picture a really awesome fight where like the Tarrasque has come and he's going to destroy everything. And like they, you have to awaken the four elder elementals to fight it. To fight the Tarrasque. Yeah. So the Phoenix, the Leviathan, the Elder Tempest, and, the Z- and Zaratan are the only four that can come <laughs> together to stop the Tarrasque. That's cool. That'd Everybody can cool. ride one. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, not much to say about them. They're just really cool looking. The art's great. They I, sound I'm badass. glad they exist. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Moving on. Um, so, there are there is a race of people called the GIF. Not to be confused with the GIF. So, that's a TH, and then the one you're talking about now is an F? Two Fs. Two Fs. They that's are, two more than I ever get. They are spacefaring hippopotamus humanoids with an extremely extensive military, and they wield guns. Man, fuck that description. What the and fuck? They are from, <laughs> what are they you are, talking they about? They are from Spelljammer, and what? they're like these weird steampunk space-faring hippo men. With guns? With guns, and they're really fucking cool. And I was like, oh, this is dope. This is awesome. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. This is real? This is a thing. It's in the book. You should look at it. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, no, a lot of people have been excited about the main in here, and they are in here. What? And the, <laughs> the only thing, a lot of people were excited about, um, like, Planescape and Spelljammer lore. Which spo- no, yeah, I saw a which, lot of spoiler that. Spoiler alert! I didn't know what that was. I one of my gripes know. is that there isn't basically any. We'll get to that, but like, let's talk about the Are happiness. You for real? There were a lot of people that were hyped for that, and this yes. didn't show up. We'll get. We'll, we'll, we got space hippos. We'll talk about criticisms <laughs> towards the end, but first, let's talk about the space hippos because they're really cool. The only crime when it comes to the gif is that they weren't given a racial uh, template. Oh, they're very obviously a people, right? With, you know, but they got treated like monsters, but they just got put in the best here. I'm like, well, where's my gif racial stat? Like, yeah, jeez. Mm. Um, but other than that, they're really cool. I'm sure you can homebrew one up pretty pretty easily. And I mean, just, hippos are my least favorite up. mammal. Just, really? Well, like they're, I fear them more than I mean, any they're mammal. assholes in real life. They're well, yeah. really violent. Yes. monstrosities. <laughs> just the, the most ter- the but, largest, um, most territorial bastards. Yeah, they are. Um, but you know, the babies are cute. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Um, 
Last last interesting note I have to say. There's there's a lot more in this book, but one thing I noted is a lot of undead, a lot of high level undead. Ooh, um, they have, good for my game. They have skull lords, which I can't explain to you why I'm so stoked. But the skull lord was one of my favorite monsters in the monster manual from fourth edition. Okay, and. The fact that it just wasn't in 5th edition just left me kind of sad, but we got it. So Skull Lords are like this weird thing where it's like, it's a skeleton with three skulls. Cool. <laughs> but like all, they're like, to, the the three faces are like almost on one big skull in a way. Kind of. That's not a very good description. So it's like a die. It's like, like a three-headed like skeletal to, wizard. Okay. And it's basically three wizards did a ritual to become a Skull Lord for... Uh, eternal life it was probably easier than becoming a lich yeah they're like no nah, no nah, that lich shit it's sketchy yeah. we're gonna and do the skull lord thing it's just a really cool visual and a really cool like it can be your villain your villain in, instead of a lich you give a skull lord i just nice. think it's cool <laughs> um but they also have things in the book where it's like what if you try to become a lich but fail mm-hmm. what happens to you one of the things that can happen to you is you can become what's called a bone claw which is basically like this skeletal zombie monster with like these huge like claw like hands and your soul basically fails to make it to the phylactery that you were trying oh, to seal shit. into. Okay. And so it drifts about and it ends up searching out the closest wicked uh sentient creature it can find and when right. it does that it fuses itself to that creature okay. and basically that creature kind of becomes the phylactery and now you as a being are beholden to the will of that creature. And you become like this servant monstrosity. Oh shoot! Yeah, and you retain some of your intelligence, but like you're you're a just enough now. to do bidding. Yeah, basically. Cool. And it looks really cool and scary. So that's all I got for the bestiary. There's plenty of other stuff. There's like star spawn and all kinds of other cool shit. But you know, we only, we only have so much time on the show. But let's talk about criticisms because yeah, okay. this book, although it's great, I do have a few gripes with it. I don't kind of want to talk about it. Mine is the hippo man. I think the hippo men are great. I, my problem is there's not enough hippo men. I need more hippo men. You need more? Yeah, I need more stuff from other planes of existence because I'm tired of Forgotten Realms being the only thing. Like, okay, so that's my criticism. They really, they really tried to sell people on like, oh, this is going to be like your manual of the planes book, and in some ways it is. But they, but they really talked about, oh, there's going to be spelljammer stuff, planescape stuff. But there's really almost none of that. I think I think there's one blurb to say that like Forgotten Realms isn't the only universe. Ooh. It is right now though. Yeah, it is right now. Buy yeah. this book. Yeah. And that's basically it. Like, cool, we got the gift, but like we don't got anything that comes along with the gift. For sure. So that's one gripe. My other gripe is they they advertise this book as not being another monster manual type book like Volos, except for that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's basically I mean, it's laid out the Vo- same it's way. It's basically Volos too. Okay. In a way, except for a different guy this time, Mordenkainen. Right. He's cool. He's also not a Forgotten Realms character, but we're not going to talk about that really. Apparently he is now. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's my, that's my second gripe. And um, my third gripe is just a, is more subjective. I'm not a fan of some of the personal lore changes they made, like the Raven Queen. I'm not a fan of what they did with you her. You know what? Me neither. I mean, it's cool in its own way, but yeah. you it's tied so it so drastically different. You tied it. You should have made a brand new thing. Obviously, why'd you call it the Raven Queen? Yeah. yeah. Now it's like. like well, I can't have both things. They're so different. They right. should be. Two, They're two drastically different, different from each other, and it's a very obvious corporate move. They're like, "Oh, people like the Raven Queen. Oh, but she doesn't belong in for, Forgotten Realms. Uh, well, put her in Forgotten Realms. It's like, oh, well, we already kind of have gods of death and undeath and all this stuff, and like she really wouldn't fit. It's like, oh, well, make something up. Like fit her in here, make her this. Right. And that's what they did. And it's like, oh, so you basically made up something, slapped the Raven Queen name on it, and and we're done. Exactly. So, that, that's exactly what it feels like because that's exactly what it was happened. a very forced corporate move, and I'm not a fan of it, but it is what it is. Whatever. I mean, you still have uh. The, the other version i mean there's nothing that says that you can't just do what you want absolutely this game and uh the, like the matt mercer raven queen is incredibly popular you right. know that that's like a really good i think our video is mostly on the raven queen is mostly based off of that type of feel for that goddess yeah i mean that and she was very popular in fourth edition right too, uh-huh so, yeah um but yeah so they drastically change her and by proxy they drastically change the shadow kai um i'm not a huge fan of it but I mean, it's not terrible. It's not the worst thing ever. Do you think it's because we're like accustomed to our, our homebrew version that we love so much? Um, hmm. For me personally, it's more about like the obvious corporate 
move. Like, yeah, this no, was I not that. done from a creatively honest place. This was not done as a creatively honest move. I don't care what they say. They're lying if they say that. Yeah. Um, and and I could just see it, and it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth because it's like, the thing is, like, most of the time, lore changes from edition to edition, but mm-hmm. usually there's, like, a vein of continuity that stays true. Sure, I get that. Um, okay. But in this, it's just a complete change. Like, yeah. She's like, a different person mm-hmm. who... Became the Raven Queen for a different reason. She's not even a goddess, and like, yeah, yeah, it's just completely different. So, is what it is. Whatever. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Stuff goes on. <laughs> She'll get an episode, and it'll be fun, anyways. Yep. So, any uh, that basically is all I got on uh, Morning Kind of Stone Foes. You got any questions? You got anything um, you want to add? No. Any comments? Any I mean, concerns? was there anything like about Morning Kind himself in the book? There was a bit. I skipped over it because I wasn't interested. Oh. But, <laughs> but yeah, they talk about him a bit, of course. It'd I be would, weird uh, if they didn't. <laughs> I, I thought it would be cool if there were. Were there like any new spells introduced in this book or anything no, like that? No spells. See, I was kind of hoping they would do like a little, um, like like a pamphlet sized amount of information on Morning Kind himself with like. Maybe a stat block. I think that might be asking for too much, but um, like a spell list, like things yeah. Mordenkainen can do and who Mordenkainen is. Yeah, that's not really something they've done in 5th edition yet where they start standing out like prominent uh, like D&D characters. Right. Like, uh, I, I Dredst or Elminister or Mordenkainen. Or Xanathar or, or Volo. Or Xanathar himself, yeah, or Volo. Although I don't think Volo would have stats much. Probably He's not. not. Really but I mean, like the idea of it is like this, you named this book Mordenkainen, Thomas Foes, or Volo's Guide to Everything. Volo's and you Guide didn't, to Monsters. Or, or yeah, and you didn't um, like expand on the, like the, t- I don't know, like it feels weird, like. Yeah, it's Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. I don't know. Maybe it's like they're approaching it from this, like, <clears throat> they said well, he wrote it. He's or... the frame of the concept of the book. And, right. Okay, so it's been an interesting thing they've been doing in 5th edition by doing this. It's been creative. It's been cool. But it is has been a little convoluted as to, like, okay, if I didn't play D&D uh, and, like, know the way 5th edition works with his books, I wouldn't know to go, like, Volo's Guide to Monsters. Oh, there's races in there. Oh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. There's yeah. classes in there. It used to be... Player's Handbook One, and then they came out with a Player's Handbook Two, and then sometimes a Player's Handbook Three. Like now, I need like a I need to go on the internet and figure out what's exactly. where. It's becoming more and more convoluted. And if you're new to the hobby, yeah, you're you're probably gonna have a hard time finding. Yeah, like, you're, like what why the do fuck people is keep a... talking about these Aladrin? Where the hell are they? Yeah, like, what the fuck is? Oh, a... they're in a Morning Kindness Tome of Foes. Like what? What the fuck is a Morning Kindness? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's not perfect. Definitely, it's been interesting and. Um, I mean, it's creative and cool in its way, but it's maybe not the most optimal way to do it. No, and maybe that has something to do with like their their publication restraints and like the way they have to make the game, like the the like kind of how they have to assemble teams to write maybe. this information. I don't. I kind of wonder what's going on at Wizards a lot. Like, are do you guys do you guys do you guys care about us? <laughs> I mean, yeah. My phone just died. Oh man, let's call it a game. <laughs> We're calling it a game. All right, <laughs> bye. Talk to you guys later. <laughs> Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.